welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Hello, everyone. It's almost the end of 2019, and certainly here in Australia, it is beginning to feel a lot like Christmas, a very Australian Christmas. It's summertime, people on holidays, uh, work is shutting down, there are people outside uh, enjoying the enjoying the great outdoors, enjoying barbecues and time with family. And I'm really looking forward to the Christmas season. For this last podcast episode of 2019, I've decided to talk about a skill which is one of the most important future-proofing skills for everybody in our personal life, in our professional life. There's a lot of talk about skills for the future. And this one skill, I think, is the most important of all because it will help you with all those other skills. So I won't keep you in suspense any longer. Let's talk about this skill of active learning. Today I want to talk about active learning, which is a critical skill for all of us in future-proofing our career. And actually, it's not only for your professional life, in other words, your career, but it's for your personal life as well. And it's a skill of being a lifelong learner. So there's a lot of talk now about skills for the future, and I'll share some of them with you. But one of them that is bigger than all of them is the skill of being a lifelong learner, because our world is changing so fast now, and we can't just stop learning and assume that everything we've learned until now is going to hold us in good stead for the future. We have to be active learners. So I want to talk about what it is, why it's so important, what sort of skills should you focus on, and how to do active learning. So um, as a futurist, I, I see so many changes happening across different industries, and uh, I'm lucky because I work with lots of different businesses and organizations in lots of different industries, different sizes. Some of them are government, some of them are commercial, some of them are large multinational companies, some of them are smaller businesses, and all of them need this skill of active learning. And in some ways, it's a very personal skill because each of us needs to be an active learner, but the skill is one of the crucial parts of building a high-performance team as well. So especially if you're a leader and you're working in a high-performance team, then you want all of the people in your team, including yourself, to be an active learner. So I run a program called the New Rules for High Performance Teams, and active learning is one of those skills. So let me give you the big picture of that program. I won't go into a lot of detail here, but I'll show you where active learning fits into this program and where it fits into building a high performance team. So think of it at three levels. So building a high performance team has these three parts to it, flow, flex, and fly. So the first part, which is all about flow, is about how to get things done in a fast-changing world. So it's going with the flow rather than trying to resist it. So we're talking about things like goal-setting, productivity, managing change, things that we've talked about for a long time, but now the way that we do them has changed a little bit. So in that flow area, we're looking at how do you get things done uh, in a chaotic, fast-changing world. The second area, flex, is about what happens when things change, when the world changes around us, how flexible are we to be able to go along with that and still achieve the goals that we want or change tack and maybe achieve some different goals. So this is about skills like decision making, problem solving, collaboration, how do you work together as a team when things have changed. And the third area, which is where active learning fits, is this area called fly. So this is, um, it's great to be able to succeed with our current goals, 
but we also want to be able to improve and grow individually and as a team. So we're looking at things like lifelong learning or active learning, which we're going to talk about today, diversity and inclusion, how do you work with diversity, how do you embrace it, and it's about building your personal brand. So everybody is responsible for their own career and responsible for building, if you like, a personal brand which uh, goes along with them uh, through their life. So today we're only going to look at one segment of that, which is in the fly section, uh, how do you build lifelong learning or active learning for yourself and if you're a leader, for your people as well. So we're going to look at four areas here. Uh, so first of all, what is active learning? We won't spend a lot of time on that, but it's useful to understand what it is and perhaps even what it isn't. Why is it so important? And I think you probably have some idea of why it's important to be a lifelong learner now, but I'll share with you not only my opinion, but also what other futurists and other experts are saying, uh, the, the real value and the importance of active learning now, then what sort of things should you learn? If you have unlimited time, of course, then you have the luxury of learning everything, but none of us has unlimited time. In fact, we sometimes have to find um, time, spare time for our learning. So let's focus on the things that are most important. And then last, we'll look at some of the ways that you can learn now, especially in a world that's changing so fast. Uh, so some of the some of the techniques that are available to you now, which weren't available before, and also how you then use those techniques to be a learner and to share that learning with the rest of your team. So let's start with this first area, which is what is active learning. And I think we've got a reasonably good idea of what it means to be a lifelong learner. Um, however, the term active learning has different contexts. So uh, one example of that or one definition of that is in the education sector. People talk about active learning as opposed to passive learning. So passive learning is where you sit in a room in a classroom, there's a teacher or lecturer at the front of the room and you just sit passively learning, maybe taking notes from what the teacher says. Uh, active learning is the opposite of that where everybody's involved in the learning. Perhaps you uh, watch the lectures online or you read the book and then everybody participates in the learning in the classroom. So sometimes called the flip the classroom model. That's not what we're talking about here when we talk about active learning. What I'm talking about is being a lifelong learner. So being proactive in taking responsibility for your own learning. And I reckon you should look at three kinds of learning. So when you're thinking about being a lifelong learner, I reckon there are three things that you could do. You could go deeper, you could go wider, and you could go further. And I think it's not an or, it's an and. So you should be doing all those three things. Go deeper, wider, and further. So very briefly, uh, going deeper means going deeper in your expertise to learn more about it, to stay up to date, to stay current, and uh, getting better at what you already do. Scanning wider means getting a greater perspective. So it's looking outside your area of expertise because now we don't live in a world now where uh, just knowing one area of expertise is enough because the problems that we're trying to solve often cross multiple disciplines. And then looking further is something that not a lot of people do and that's learning for the future. So it's not only understanding what you need to know now for solving today's problems but also looking ahead to be able to solve tomorrow's problems. Now as a futurist this is my day job so I tend to look further more than most people but that's because I have to. Uh, for most people they don't look further. So so I'm suggesting to you that maybe you should think like a futurist a little bit as well. So we'll talk about deeper, wider, further a little bit uh, later on. Uh, but for now, that's the idea of what active learning is. It's actually 
being proactive and being a lifelong learner. And when I run this in the high performance teams program, I often ask people, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And of course, when we're kids or babies or toddlers, even we do that a lot. There are many things that we're doing for the first time. And as we get older, we kind of get, even if not set in our ways, we kind of follow the same behaviors and patterns and habits that we've developed. And following habits is great. It's really good. But sometimes it stops us from doing something for the first time, from breaking outside our comfort zone and actually doing something for the first time. So I ask you, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And it doesn't have to be some sort of deliberate learning experience. It could be some experience that you've created yourself for the first time. So uh, as a very, very simple example, perhaps you go to a restaurant and you choose something from the menu that you've never eaten before, rather than going back to your favorite foods. Or you go to your local coffee shop and you order a different kind of coffee that you would never have ordered before. So that's a very simple thing. Um, it can go to extremes. So uh, somebody I know who's a, another speaker colleague of mine, she recently went skydiving for the first time. She and her husband in their 50s went skydiving for the first time. So when was the last time you did something for the first time? And even if it's not a formal learning experience, it is still learning. And that's why I ask this question now. So when you ask what is active learning, it's being a lifelong learner and being able to put yourself in situations where you're constantly learning. So why does it matter? Why should you be an active learner? And the obvious answer is because the world's changing. What worked for us in the past isn't necessarily going to work for us in the future. And that's true. Let, let me give you some insights from elsewhere as well. The World Economic Forum, the published a report in 2018 called the Future of Jobs Report, and they were looking at the skills, the professional skills, that we need to be future fit and future proof in the next five years. So they were looking ahead to 2022-2023. And being the World Economic Forum, they looked at it globally and they also looked at it in individual countries. And so for Australia, here are the top five skills, not in any particular order, that the World Economic Forum identified as skills that we should all learn for being future fit. Number one, creativity and originality. Number two, leadership and social influence. Number three, analytical thinking. Four, emotional intelligence. And five, ta-da, active learning. So those are not in any particular order, but those are the top five skills that the World Economic Forum has identified as future-proofing skills. Uh, Alvin Toffler, the late Alvin Toffler, uh, once said, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn unlearn and relearn and there's no better definition of active learning than that the ability to learn unlearn and relearn and it's crucial because our world is changing our professional world is changing there's a lot of evidence that is changing around us and respected groups like McKinsey are saying that by 2030 um, up to 800 million workers around the world will lose their jobs to automation so uh, if you don't change and if you don't continue learning and evolving and growing then you might be one of those people who loses their jobs but these changes are also creating great opportunities so if you continue to learn continue to grow continue to evolve then it gives you great opportunities for the future if you take advantage of them so let's have a look at what should you learn what are the future skills so as I said earlier if you have unlimited time you would learn absolutely everything but we don't have unlimited time so it makes sense for us to focus on the skills that are going to be the most valuable for us in the future and 
there's been a lot of research done and a lot of predictions made about what those skills for the future might be. The Institute for the Future, for example, published a report called the Future Work Skills, and you can download it from their website, the Institute for the Future, and they identified 10 skills that will help you future-proof your career and, if you're a leader, your team and your organization. So let me quickly go through those 10 skills. Now, this is not by any means the only source of finding skills for the future. You'll find there are many people who've identified skills for the future, and many respected groups have done that. But let's look at these 10, because they're really useful to see the kind of skills that the Institute for the Future, the World Economic Forum, reputable organizations like that are suggesting we need to know for the future. So let's have a look at them. Cognitive load management. So this is the idea that we live in an information overloaded world now and it's no longer possible to shut the door on the world and say, hold on, I need a break, time out, I need some time to focus and work on stuff and then I'll open the door later and then manage everything that happens. Our world's just moving too fast now. So we can't just stop the world and get off and then get back on when we're ready for it. We live in a world where there's going to be so much information overloading our brain. And this is what we're talking about. Cognitive load is a load on our brain. So how do we manage that effectively? Not by trying to shut it out, but but by being better at decision making and filtering and engaging with the things that are most important to us. Next is computational thinking. So this is just being good with numbers. It's about numeracy. It's not saying that you can do maths in your head, because of course we don't need to do that. We've got Google and watches that will do that for us. But it's about having basic numeracy, being good with numbers, being able to interpret graphs and data that we see, because we're going to see a lot more of that, and we need to be able to interpret that, and not necessarily create that data. We don't need to be good at generating lots of information, but we do need to be competent at understanding it, and then being able to make well-informed decisions from it. Just the same as we have to understand language and be able to make well-informed decisions based on what people say. And the next one is new media literacy. So there's a lot of new media channels available now, and the new ones coming out every few months. And so we need to be, first of all, be comfortable with um, adopting new media, and then becoming literate with it, figuring out uh, how we should best use it for communication, when it's not a good time to use it, what are the best tools that we should use, how should we integrate that with other tools that we're using. For example, should we call a meeting, or should we post something online to our intranet bulletin board. So there's no right or wrong answer to that. It's just that as we get these new media tools, we have to figure out how to integrate them into our current methods of communication, internally and externally. And the next one is novel and adaptive thinking. So this is about innovation and creativity. So it's simply recognizing that we need new ideas to be able to solve new problems because what worked for us in the past may not work for us in the future. Uh, another related skill is a skill of transdisciplinarity and transdisciplinarity simply means being a connector. It's looking at things from outside your area of discipline and figuring out first of all how it's going to affect you and second, how you can actually use it, how you can leverage things from outside your area of expertise. For example, self-driving cars are going to affect a lot more than the car industry. Um, let's take a quick example. Uh, education, for example. Now, you might think a self-driving car will drive your kids to school, so you don't have to do that. But what about the idea that maybe the school happens in the car. Education can happen in the car itself because we don't need a driver anymore and it, it's not just for kids, it could be for adults as well.
And then the next skill is sense making. So this is understanding what's happening in the world and being able to share it in a way that's meaningful for people. And, and when we talk about active learning, I'm also going to touch on that very briefly, the idea that uh, what you learn, you can share as well, and that will help add value, not just to the people you share it with, but for yourself as well to reinforce the learning. Uh, the next one is design thinking, and design thinking in a nutshell is problem solving. And there's this very specific process that's a design thinking process, but essentially it's saying rather than looking at what products and services do I have and then how do I find a market for them, because that's, that's starting off with a solution and then finding people with a problem, it's going the other way around. It's starting with your customers or the end users and figuring out what problems do they have. Uh, let's check whether they actually really do have those problems and then let's work backwards to find a way to solve those problems and engaging them all the way to make sure that the solution you create is really solving their problems. And the next one social intelligence. So social intelligence, some people call this emotional intelligence so or EQ and emotional intelligence is about how you engage with other people and also the way that you work emotionally for, for yourself and social intelligence is the first part of that. So it's understanding the motivation behind people's behaviors, it's understanding how to engage with people and work with them effectively. And the next one, which is related to that, is diversity. And the diversity mindset is a, is a useful skill to acquire because we now need cognitive diversity, in other words, different ways of thinking. And that often comes from other kinds of diversity, like sex and gender and uh, race and so on, because people come from different backgrounds, so they have different kinds of thinking. And that idea of embracing that diversity means that you get better solutions. Now, people talk about diversity and inclusion, and they're both important. So diversity is like having a lot of colored textures. Inclusion is about using them. So we need both. You can't just um, tick the diversity box and say, we've got our quota if you're not actually making use of that diversity. And the last one of those 10 is fierce collaboration. So it's collaboration, but it's collaboration where people get to uh, share evidence, uh, argue their point, and people will argue with them, but they won't argue with the person, they'll argue with the evidence, and then come to a consensus and decide how to move forward. It's kind of like the way the scientific method works. And the, the pure scientific method is a scientist does an experiment, comes up with a result and then shares their, not just the result, but shares the experimental methods with other people and says, okay, prove me wrong. And the idea is that other people will attack the experiment and try to prove it wrong. And if they can't prove it wrong, or if they're able to replicate the findings, then that's how science progresses. So those are the 10 skills that the Institute for the Future has identified as being key skills for future-proofing your career, your team, your organization. Now, which of those are the most important and are they in a particular hierarchy? Well, not really, except for one thing. Of those 10 skills, one of them I think is really crucial and if, you, and if you don't have this one, you're taking a bit of a risk and you're leaving yourself vulnerable to a big change that's coming and the big change that's coming is of course the change with technology, with automation, with artificial intelligence. So if you go back to one of those skills, computational thinking, being good with numbers, um, having basic numeracy and being able to understand and interpret numbers and being comfortable with it, um, that's one of the skills that I think you should work on. And if you don't have that skill, then it's a skill that's well worth acquiring. And I, I really want to make this point for two reasons. One, because a lot of people don't have the skill and they're worried about technology and automation and they're worried about numbers. Um, so they 
you know, numeracy isn't always valued as much as literacy uh, and people will sometimes proudly say, well, I'm terrible at maths. It's not just about being good at maths, but it's about being comfortable and numerate and being able to interpret numbers. That's the first reason, because a lot of people don't have that basic numeracy. The second reason is, of course, our world is moving more towards technology with numbers, with artificial intelligence, with data, and more and more will be asked to be comfortable with that and to interpret data. So the people who can do that comfortably without being a maths geek uh, are the ones who will have a big advantage. So we are getting to this point where the geeks shall inherit the earth. And as I said, you don't need to be a geeky person, uh, but you do need to have that basic numeracy. There are a lot of people who talk about the idea that the robots are coming for your jobs. Well, that's not actually true. They're coming for some jobs, but more likely, especially in the area of knowledge work, it's not robots alone that are coming for your jobs. It's people who can use let me say robots, but uh, automation, technology, artificial intelligence, who are good with numbers, who have this skill of computational thinking, is people with that skill who are going to have an advantage over the people who don't. So you're more likely to lose your job to somebody who's tech savvy and has that skill of computational thinking than you are to get completely replaced by a robot. So learn that skill of computational thinking. Let me give you one other piece of evidence to press home that point. LinkedIn recently published, uh, so this is the end of 2019, they published their emerging jobs report for 2020. And so LinkedIn obviously has access to a lot of data about what jobs people are looking for, what jobs people are advertising and so on. And they published based on their data, the top 15 jobs that people are looking for around the world. And in fact, they broke it down by country as well. So, so for Australia, let me tell you what the top 15 most in-demand jobs are. Uh, and I won't tell you what all of them are, but I'll, but I'll tell you those that have something to do with technology and computational thinking. So AI specialist, cybersecurity specialist, marketing automation specialist, uh, software robotics engineer, site reliability engineer, data scientist, data engineer, um, service designer, full stack engineer, automation consultant. More than half of the top 15 most in de demand jobs have something to do with technology or computational thinking. Now I'm not saying that you need to be one of those people or you need to learn those sort of skills. However, whatever your role is, there's a chance that you'll be engaging and interacting with those sort of people. So learn how to interpret what they say, to understand what they say, to be able to ask intelligent questions based on the information they give you. And and that's really what this skill of computational thinking is. I'll stress again, it's not about becoming a maths geek, it's not about becoming an expert in maths, but it's becoming comfortable with numbers and it's having that numeracy that means that you can make well-informed decisions when you're faced with numbers. So. I've given you the skills that the World Economic Forum has identified as the top skills for uh, Australia. And uh, by the way, when I say Australia, uh, in most Western countries, the, the list of top skills is pretty similar. It's not like in Australia we come up with things like kangaroo herding. Those sort of sk the skills that I mentioned earlier are, are pretty common among most Western developed countries. Um, I've also shared with you what the Institute for the Future has identified as future work skills. Um, I've really emphasized this idea of computational thinking, and my apologies if I've pushed that too hard. Um, the one last thing I want to talk about in terms of what should you um, develop when you're thinking about this idea of active learning is um, 
this idea from Howard Gardner. Uh, he's written this book, Five Minds for the Future. So this is Howard Gardner of Multiple Intelligences fame. And his book, Five Minds for the Future, talks about five different mindsets that we should all develop. Now, this is not like that old debunked theory of left brain, right brain. Um, so we're not talking about physical areas of the brain, but more metaphorically, what are the five minds that we should all develop? So let me tell you what those five minds are. And as I do that, think to yourself, which of these are you strong in and which of them are you weak in? Now, especially the ones that you're weak in, you've got two choices. You can decide whether you're going to learn more and uh, expand that area so you strengthen it or perhaps you need to surround yourself with people who have those strengths because then they can complement the the strengths that you have and the weaknesses that you have they can fill those and uh, and you can help them with the strengths that you have now i reckon if ideally you could do both so if you find that you're particularly weak in one area then perhaps you set yourself a goal of strengthening strengthening that area okay let me tell you what those five minds are so the first one is the disciplined mind. The disciplined mind is the one that goes deeper into expertise. So so you might have expertise in some discipline, and this is about getting deeper in that area. So it's, it's learning more about what you've already got expertise in. And of course, it's important because that field has changed. And so, of course, you want to be current, you want to be up to date, you want to continue to evolve as the field evolves as well. But it's going deeper in a narrow area. The synthesizing mind, which is the next one, is the opposite. That's going wider. So the synthesizer can connect ideas to create new solutions. So this is the one that looks looks a little bit broader rather than going deeper. The third one is the creative mind. So this is the one that generates ideas out of the blue. So this is like when I talked about the Institute for the Future, um, the novel and adaptive thinking skill is this one. It's a creative mind, whereas transdisciplinarity is a synthesizing mind. So we talked about three, disciplined, synthesizing, creative. The fourth one is the respectful mind. So the respectful mind is all about people. So this is how you deal with people, how you engage with people, how you build rapport with them, how you include them. So some of the other skills that we talked about, some of the people skills, fall into this area. And the last one is the ethical mind. So the ethical mind is like big picture thinking. So it's beyond what you're doing now. So it might be looking at the future. It might be looking at social impact. It might be looking at global impact. It might be looking at generations down the track. So it's looking beyond just a problem that you're trying to solve now. So those are the five minds. Disciplined, synthesizing, creative, respectful, and ethical. So lucky to think which of those are your strengths and then which of those are you weakest in and um, as I said with the weaknesses you have two choices you can either develop that area so that you can uh, become strong in that area or make sure that you're working in a team where you've got people who can complement those skills for you so so far we've talked about what active learning is why it matters what sort of skills should you learn? Let's look briefly at some of the ways that you can learn now. And of course, there you've been learning all your life, as a baby, as a toddler, in formal education, in school, college, university, in your uh, uh, on-the-job learning, in formal training course, courses, and so on. But there are also other ways that you can learn now. So let's go back to that idea of deeper, wider, further. So I mentioned that before. So I think there are three kinds of learning that you should do. And uh, don't limit yourself to one of them, but look at all these three areas. So 
You can dig deeper, you can scan wider, and you can look further. And we call this your personal learning network. So your personal learning network is the collection of sources that you have deliberately chosen to enhance your learning. Because there's so much information out there, there's no way that you can possibly get access to all of it and consume all of it, you just can't. So you've got to make some choices about where, where you're going to get your information. And if you don't make those choices, the world is going to make choices for you. And you will learn from random sources, some of which will be great, some of which will be, well, not so great. So let's look at these three areas. I'm going to give you some examples in each of these three areas about where you can learn and um, some sources for learning in those areas. Um, this is not comprehensive and some of them there's a bit of an overlap, but I just want to tell you broadly what some of those sources might be. So let's look at first of all digging deeper. So how do you get more depth in your area of expertise? Well there's some obvious areas. You could read technical books and papers. You could subscribe to niche podcasts in your area of expertise. You could subscribe to blogs and other feeds in your area of expertise. You could attend seminars and conferences online. You can attend webinars and uh, do online courses. Those are all things that you can do to dig deeper. You won't necessarily do all of them and you may not necessarily do all of them at the same level, but those are some examples of sources for digging deeper in your expertise. The second area is scanning wider. So this is looking beyond your expertise. So let's look at some of those sources. One of them might be social media. So social media gets a bit of a bad rap when it comes to learning, but one of the things it's really good at is exposing you to random bits and pieces. Now, sometimes you live in this little filter bubble and you get exposed to the same things over and over again because you hang out with people you like and so social media will feed you uh, related things. So, But sometimes it takes you in completely random directions and that can be really useful for your learning as well. Along with that goes diversity. So if, if your social media friends are not all people like you, it actually means that you're exposed to different ideas as well. So then the social media algorithms will feed you new ideas and if you hang out with people who are different from you, then it also increases the diversity of ideas, opinions, uh, information that you get from the rest of the world. You can engage in mentoring, um, so mentoring somebody else, but also the idea of reverse mentoring, where you become mentored by somebody and not only somebody who's more senior than you. So the idea of reverse mentoring is that you're mentored by somebody more junior than you, perhaps somebody younger, perhaps somebody newer in this in your profession or your area of expertise, perhaps somebody newer in the company at the organization, so you're getting different ideas. And it just gives you a very different perspective if you become the learner rather than just assuming that because you're older and wiser that you should only be the teacher. Another idea is shadowing, where you can, in an organization, you can follow somebody else around and shadow them, find out what they do in their role, so you get a, a broader perspective, especially if it's somebody you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, and you perhaps you hand off work to them, but you don't know what happens to that work after you hand it off to them. Shadowing them helps you understand, so it gives you a very different perspective, because you step outside your current role, and you learn what somebody else's role is like. And... As I said, you can do online courses to um, deepen your own expertise, but you can also now get access to a wide range of free or low-cost online courses completely outside your area of expertise. And these are really high-quality courses. If I give you just one example, masterclass.com uh, gives you really high-quality content uh, taught by experts. You can learn the art of humor 
from Steve Martin or playing tennis from Serena Williams or writing or acting or a number of things and these don't have to be professional skills that you're learning these could be things that you're just using to learn personal skills but also that you get to experience what online courses are like you get to learn from world experts and you continue to develop that muscle of being an active learner the third area, which is one that I think most people don't do enough of, is looking further into the future. So not just learning for what you need now, but learning about the future and getting an understanding of what what might come up in the future. We all have a one-way ticket into the future. Wouldn't it be good to understand what skills you might need in the future? And to understand that, perhaps you should know about what's coming up in the future. So. You should listen to futurists. You should follow futurists like me, but there are others around as well. In fact, I follow a lot of futurists because I want to know what other people are saying about the future. And there are a lot of podcasts from futurists or uh, trends podcasts, which are worth subscribing to. And there are white papers about the future, the, the McKinsey's of the world, the Deloitte's of the world. They're always publishing what the future is going to be like. And you can download them free. Many of them are free. Some of them uh, are behind a paywall, so you have to pay for them. But many of them are free. You can get many mentoring from futurists. So one of the things that I do is I run a disruption by design program for senior leaders to help them think about the future for their organization and their industry. And the last one that I'm going to mention is a little bit out there. It's sci-fi. So do you watch sci-fi TV shows or go to sci-fi movies? Because that can also give you insights into the future. Now, just to be clear, the second word in science fiction is fiction. So you should think about these as fiction, but Often, science fiction will raise interesting ideas, possibilities, moral questions, ethical questions, philosophical questions that will just get you thinking about what might be coming up in our future. So, when you're thinking about how to learn, these I've given you some uh, various sources that you can learn from. I'm not suggesting that you go for all of them. In fact, you can't, but be selective. And one of the things that you can do to choose which sources are going to be most useful for you is to ask yourself, how do you learn best? So what and what modes of learning are best for you? So let me share four of them. So are you a good reader? So do you like text? So for me, I love text. So I read, I read blog posts, I read articles, I read white papers, special reports, I read books because I know that I can read quite fast and also I can read quite quickly and skim over and uh, skip the bits that I don't need to read and still consume information quickly. Some people learn through pictures, so they like slideshows and presentations. Um, if you're that kind of learner, then Perhaps those things are good for you. They don't really work for me, but that's okay. Um, the, the next one is audio. So I like audio. I subscribe to a lot of podcasts. I can listen to them at faster than normal speed. I can still um, consume the information and still take it in. And I, I can also multitask when I'm listening to podcasts. So I can do that when I'm riding my bike, when I'm in the car. And it means that I can still get through a lot of information and learn actively while I'm doing something else as well. And other people like video. For me, I don't really like video because I have to stop and focus on that and I can't multitask with video. But for some people, that's their, their favorite method of learning. So here are four. Text, pictures, audio, video. Which one or ones work best for you? And then find sources that fit those media. 
the last thing I want to share around how you learn is to actually share what you learn. This is optional, but it's very valuable if you can do that. So you're not just taking information in from the world and learning it for yourself, but you're also sharing it with other people. Now there are multiple ways that you could share, and I'm not going to go into detail here, but if you have the idea that you're going to share what you learn, it benefits everybody. So everybody else gets the benefit of your learning as well because you're sharing it with them, but also you get the benefit of uh, learning it at a deeper level because uh, you have to teach it and you have to teach it in a way that makes sense for other people. So you have to do a little bit of an interpretation or translation. You've got this information, you've learnt it, and now you're going to share it in a way that's meaningful and engaging to them. So it's optional, but if you can do that, it'll deepen the learning for yourself. So we talked about these four areas. What is active learning? Why does it matter? What should you learn? And then how should you learn? And I hope you've got some practical ideas that you can take away and put into practice. Let me give you one other stat from that World Economic Forum report, the Future of Jobs report, and they suggest that the average professional will need, on average, 25 days of active learning each year. 25 days. That's a lot of time. That's like a, It's like more than a month's worth of learning. Now, of course, you're not going to do that. You're not going to set aside 25 days in a row to do that, 25 working days. But it means that over the year, you should be thinking about, uh, on average, I'm going to set aside a month of my time in active learning. And how are you going to do that? It could be in formal training. It could be in many of the other things that I've talked about, some of the other sources. But be aware, this is what the World Economic Forum says is the minimum that we're going to need for the average person to be fit for the future. So I hope you've got some ideas there that, that you can take away and put into practice. If you think they're good ideas, please do take them away and try them. You really need to experiment with this stuff because you really don't know what's going to be most effective for you and uh, how you should learn best until you actually try it. There's a quotation I love from Benjamin Brewster in 1882 and he said, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice, there is. And I reckon this is the most important thing that you should learn when it comes to active learning. Uh, take it away from theory, put it into practice, and only then will you know what works best for you, and it'll help you become a lifelong learner. So as I said, I hope you found that useful, and I hope you've got some ideas that you can put into practice so you can become a better active learner. I did mention earlier that I run a program called the New Rules for High Performance Teams, and that, that active learning module is one of the modules in that program. I did mention some of them before, and broadly, the modules fall into three categories. The flow category, so how do you get go with the flow and get things done in a changing world? How do you be flexible, so what happens when things change and how do you flex? And the last one is how do you fly, so um, how do you grow and continue to evolve and improve yourselves individually and as a team? So the way that works as a program is when I work with clients, we sit down and we figure out which are the areas where you need the the most help and where you need the most upskilling. And then based on that, we put together a, the program, which is uh, the main part of the program is a workshop. And it's uh, typically a one-day workshop. Sometimes it's two days. I did it recently for a client where it's just a half-day compressed version where we just chose one or two modules. And we craft that based on your needs. Uh, but I call it a program, not just a workshop, because I want to make it more than a workshop. Uh, because of some research that was done by Brent Peterson at Columbia University, and he and his team were looking at how do you make training programs effective. Based on this research, what he found was that 
To make a training program effective, what you should do is spend 25% of your time getting ready for the program, 25% of your time roughly in the training itself, and 50% of your time afterwards embedding the learning back in the, the learner's everyday life. So in other words, if you are running a one-day workshop, there should be a one day getting ready for it, doesn't have to be consecutive like a full day, but uh, you know, one day's effort getting ready for it, one day in the training workshop, and then two days work embedding that learning back in the workplace. So that's the theory, that's the ideal. Most organizations, of course, don't do that. They And again, Peterson's research found that they spend about 10% of their time getting ready for it, so almost nothing in pre-work, 85% of their time in the training room, and and then a tiny 5% embedding the learning. Most people assume that when people get to the end of the day and they pack up, they, they've learned that skill. And of course, it's not the case. So, so I want to make sure that if I'm running a workshop for you and your team, it's not just the time in the training room, because then it won't be as effective as it could be. So the way the program works is we have, let's say, the one-day workshop, which is the main focus. But two or three weeks before that, I'll run a webinar for the people who are attending the workshop. And um, I'll help you get ready for it. I'll help them prepare for it. So when they turn up, they're not just turning up cold. And then for three months afterwards, they get access to me for any email questions that they have. Uh, and they get access to our online resource center. Some people even want to go another step, and they bring me back three months later for a day of coaching. So um, I come to your office, I sit in your room, uh, sit in a meeting room and people schedule individual one-on-one -on -one coaching calls with me and they can talk about the, the ideas they got from the workshop and how they've implemented it and I can give them some guidance. So if you're interested in that, the, that program, the new rules for high performance teams, please get in touch with me. I'd love to talk to you about that and how we can make that work for your organization. <music> I hope you enjoyed that and found something that you can use in your personal and your professional life. Let's work together. I work with organizations and teams at all different levels. So I do conference speaking as a keynote speaker. I can talk about disruption, leadership, change and innovation and being fit for the future. I also run workshops for your leadership teams and your team members and help you with strategic planning as well. I also have a new leadership coaching program, which is the Disruption by Design program, which is designed to help you and your teams be fit for the future by being ready for some of the changes that are coming. To find out more about these services and also to get access to my other valuable resources like videos and blog and podcast and articles, go to my website, gihanperera.com. It's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A. Com. So we've come to the end of another year, 2019, and maybe even the start of a new decade in 2020. So I hope the year has gone well for you. I hope it's been successful. I hope you've achieved your personal and professional goals. And I hope you're looking forward to the year ahead. I wish you all the best for a safe and happy Christmas and New Year period. Um, have a good break and look forward to sharing my ideas with you again in 2020. See you in the future. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.